You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program. Final hour on this Wednesday. The great Bob Costas will join us coming up. How optimistic is he that we're going to have a baseball season? Our poll question the first two hours, the over-under number of games for the regular season, 74 and a half, according to Paulie's bookie friend in Vegas, McLovin? 73% say under. Okay, I'm going to go over. I'm going to be optimistic. We're going to play 75 games. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. We also brought up this topic of either your favorite or your worst autograph story, and mine was probably back in 1971, and uh, I think I was 15 at the time. Lakers came to town, and the Cincinnati Royals were going to move, and they were going to move to Kansas City. And I got to see the Atlanta Hawks with Maravich. You got to see the Knicks when they came in, and the Lakers came to town. And I realized that, and here I am 15, I don't even know if I'll get a job doing sports, but this is what I wanted to do for a living. But in my mind... I'll never see Wilt Chamberlain again. I had Jerry West's autograph and Happy Harrison. I had all Jim McMillan, Gail Goodrich, Bill Sharman, all these autographs from the Lakers. I didn't get Wilt Chamberlain. Outside Cincinnati Gardens, buses there, the Lakers. Wilt came by. They lost to the Royals, and he boarded the bus and sat in the first seat. And I thought... I'm going to walk on the bus. My friends encouraged me. I walked on the bus. Here I am, I think, 15 years of age, 14. And he stood up and told me to get the F off the bus. And then I walked down the steps, walked outside. And then my friends go, what did he say? And I told him, that's awesome. And that was, that was one of my worst autograph stories, uh, obviously. Had some good ones. There was the one when Maravich came out. And at the time, you have to understand how big Maravich was. Coming out of college, went to the Atlanta Hawks. He had a, uh, a commercial. He had a couple of commercials. He did one for, I think it was Hairspray, and then he did one for Pro Keds, and he, uh, where he's spinning the ball in his fingers, through his legs. And he was, he was a, a sight to see. Maravich, he comes out of uh, the side door of Cincinnati Gardens. We're all out there waiting for Maravich. And I remember Walt Bellamy was the center. And he had a Cadillac Eldorado. And I just remember a white one. And, uh, you know, you had these guys that came out and then Maravich came out. And it was pandemonium. It's like boy band pandemonium. And my friend grabbed Pete Maravich's hair for some reason. To this day, I don't know why Zeke Campbell grabbed Pete Maravich's hair. I got Maravich to just sign pistol on my program. And we got, you know, so Maravich gets in the car and then he leaves. And then we're all, we kind of take inventory. And I was like, hey, who, did you get his autograph? And I go, I got it. And then my friend goes, I got some of his hair in my hand. <laughs> so he showed us, like, you know, he had locks of Pete Maravich, game used hair <laughs> by Pete Maravich. Oh. Uh, I told that story to Maravich when he went into the Basketball Hall of Fame when I went up to interview him. He didn't remember it. But he did remember Walt Bellamy uh, picking him up in a car. But uh, my friend grabbed his hair, didn't get his autograph. I did, but I had a lot of you know great memories. But uh, if you got a bad one, let me know here. 877-3DP-SHOW. And as I mentioned, Bob Costas will join us uh, coming up. Yeah, Paul. This one was, ended up being a pretty good one. But you remember, I'm a crazy Bears fan. I think this is 1986. I'm a teenager. 
and I was in a restaurant in the south side of Chicago. And as we're walking out, we were walking out, a person walking in, a group was Kevin Butler, the Bears kicker. Now, most people don't get too jacked up about a kicker, but he was a pretty well-known player on the Chicago Bears Butler. You remember him. Butthead. Yeah. Very popular. And seeing any Chicago Bear in public, you know, I was going berserk. And I go, oh, and, and I grabbed a menu from the uh, restaurant, like a to-go menu. And I ran, you know, he was just standing there. He's about to go in. I go, excuse me, Mr. Butler, can, can I get your autograph real quick? real quick? But I was so, you know, flustered that I forgot to grab a pen. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, great. And uh, he goes, uh, hold on. And he just, he goes, and he walks in the restaurant and he walks in the restaurant, not like in the area, the vestibule where you're going in. I was like, ah, I'm getting blown off. I was like, ah, darn it. And, uh, you know, and I didn't see him there. I looked for a second. I was like, all right, with my family, I walked to the car. I walk about 20 steps to the car. All of a sudden you hear, he ran outside in the parking lot with a pen and t- tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, here you go. And he signed an autograph. I can't tell you how far that went though, when you're 15 years old. Oh Yeah. But if you're a kicker and somebody wants your autograph... He's pretty fired up, I bet. Yeah. Yes, Todd? But then he ordered a turkey club from Paul, which is kind of strange. That 15-year-old kid is not working there. It's because he signed the to-go menus. They try to bring it... All right. Tie it into the fact that he signed the to-go menu. Tucker in Idaho joins us. Hi, Tucker. Hey, Dan. 5'8", 180. And today also happens to be my 25th birthday. Well, happy birthday, Tucker. Thanks, Dan. So I'm a diehard Cubs fan, and I happen to be at spring training. So this was probably right around 2004, and we're outside of the facility there, and Dusty Baker's the manager, and so I have a jersey, and he's I have his signature, Derek Lee's, and I also had Corey Patterson's. And we're standing out there, and I can see this car pull in, and I can tell it's Sammy Sosa, who – was my favorite player, of course, at that time being a Cubs fan. And so I run down his car and go to his door, and he gets out, and I say, Sammy, Sammy, can you please sign my jersey? And he looks at me and just walks off. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Yep. Well, you're probably not alone in stories like that. Thank you, Tucker. And happy birthday, Tucker. David in Indiana. Thought we were getting a little bit more dramatic story there out of Tuck, but, uh, you know. Uh, Hey, David. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Five nine one eighty five. And uh, so my dad takes us out to Bossy Field, where in Evansville, where they film the League of Your Own later. But uh, so we're out there, and it's about the same time, probably as as your uh, uh, story with Wilt. But uh, we're watching Pedro Borbone throw a little bullpen. Uh, before the game, and you had to kind of lean over this brick wall to watch. And my sister and I were like nine or ten years old, and she yells down at Pedro. She said, "Would you give us a ball?" And Pedro looks up and he says, "If you come out tomorrow night and watch me pitch, I'll give you a ball." So the next night, of course, my dad brings us out there again, and Pedro and another player come up the steps. We're, we've been waiting for fifteen, twenty minutes, watching, you know, watching, waiting for him. He comes out, starts running. He gets about fifteen or twenty steps and sees my sister, runs back in the dugout gets a ball, autographs it, and comes out and gives it to her. Favorite player, her, her favorite player of all time, you know, obviously. Uh, another story, uh, just real quickly. No, uh, no, I, that one, that was too nice, David. You're, you're telling nice autograph stories. And, and uh, thank you, though. I remember Pedro Bourbon. He had a rubber arm. That guy could pitch every day. Wait, I, I tell you a, one, a negative one about Will Chamberlain, and I got everybody telling me these uh, Hallmark stories. Caleb, you got a crappy autograph story? 
Sorry, Dan. Unfortunately, this is another good one. Oh, but, <laughs> so, We're looking for content on this show. <laughs> well, I, it's bad and good. Let me okay. preface it with that. So back in, I think it was 2012, RG3's rookie season, me and a friend went up to Richmond for training camp, snuck into the player's parking lot, got kicked out looking for RG3. So then we uh, cut a little hole in the fence to try to see which bus he gets in. We see which bus he gets in, jump in our car. We hightail it after him all through downtown Richmond, run four red lights, then see him at the hotel, run into the hotel, security guards stop us, then we're yelling at him, then finally he comes over, gives us an autograph, says, damn, y'all are crazy, and then says bye to us. All right, well, once again, these are all nice autograph stories. We didn't get RG3 to sign our Robert Griffith Jr. the third jersey, did we? But he did send, I have his shoes that I think he used at the combine. I think I have the gold spikes up here. That uh, he provided. Yes. Uh, come on. As far as the autograph experience, does it really count if you go to like to a mall or someplace where someone is already signing things, their card or their book or whatever, as opposed to trying to track someone down and go all the way down to the field or sneak into something? Yeah, I, I think any any place that you can get an autograph. Is that is like I got Ed Cranepool, former Mets third baseman's autograph on my little pink Spalding ball that you play stickball with. But that that was a pre-planned signing that you just stand in line for. Or Randy Rasmussen, an old offensive lineman of the Jets at some uh, Sam Goody record store. That's isn't that kind of weak though? If everyone's just online for you know he's going to be there and he has to sign. Nobody it. needs to know how you got the autograph, just that you have the autograph. But there's no good story with that. You just you just showed up in some place in Jersey in a parking lot, and there he is signing everybody's. Thing. Yes, McLovin. I kind of agree with Todd. A prepaid mall event signature is not as cool as a random like. It's mall not, event. but you don't have to say that you got it. That you prepaid for this. But isn't part of the autograph the story? It is for me. But if you just want to get an autograph, like my my stories were just when I was really young and trying to get these autographs and how important they were. The fact that I saved these programs or that my mom did, and I still have these programs of all these guys who signed it back in the early 70s. Um, let's see. Who has a bad autograph story? Luke in Alabama. Hey, Luke. Hey Dan, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I'm a, I'm 34 now, and and I've never gotten over this. Matter of fact, I've never asked for another autograph since. But I was 15 at the time, 14, 15 at the state basketball tournament in Alabama in Birmingham at the Civic Center. I'm I'm a junior high basketball player. I'm videoing the game for the varsity team, and in the upstairs press box walks Charles Barkley. It's just me and him. I grab my my little booklet there and I turn around Mr. Barkley will you sign this doesn't even acknowledge me steps out of the press box onto the stands starts yelling and runs down the bleachers waving his hands everybody's clapping it's Barkley it's Barkley he sits down and starts signing autographs down <laughs> at the court side but he wouldn't it was just me and him and he didn't have time for me I've never asked for another autograph scarred for life well well thank you Luke that's not like Charles. Jeff in St. Louis. Hi, Jeff. What do you have for me today? Good morning, Dan. Okay, mine is I was at Bush Stadium watching big man, Martin McGuire, doing batting practice, and he had a bad session, and I'm right at the dugout whenever he's going back in, and I said, hey, big Matt, can I have your autograph? And he eagle-eyed me and 
spit on the ground and walked right in a dugout. Right in front of me and my girlfriend. <laughs> I think, See, that's, that's better than an autograph. Some, sometimes the story is better than the actual autograph. And I, I ran into Wilt Chamberlain years later at Madison Square Garden. And I told him the story about him telling me to get off the Lakers bus. And he thought it was so funny. And then he, he said, do you want my autograph now? And I said, no. It just was a better story that he told me to get off the bus. Uh, I saw this story here. There was a couple of football items. By the way, we'll talk to Bob Costas about baseball's new proposal. Now they're talking 89 games. It feels like they're going to settle maybe around 75. I love Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. I love it. UFC 251? I, I Sure, why not? Live boxing last night on the mothership. Soccer's coming back. Uh, but we'll talk to Bob about uh, Major League Baseball and its plans there. Uh, Dirk Cutter is the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, and he was talking about Todd Gurley. And he said that, uh, you know, uh, the main question that no one seems to know is what his health status is, what's his workload. But he does go on to say that uh, when he's healthy, he's the best running back, arguably the best running back in football. Isn't that part of the problem with Todd Gurley, that he's not healthy, therefore he's not one of the best running backs in football? Yes, McLevin. Wouldn't he be a Los Angeles Ram if he was healthy and this would be a moot conversation? Well, that was what my thought was of, hey, he's, when he's healthy, he's arguably... Um, the Rams, if, they, if, if he was healthy for the Rams, they might have won the Super Bowl there. But I, I thought that that was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, he can still do it. It's just a matter of how often he can do it. <laughs> Man, he's great for two carries a game. You know, Gurley's he's only 25, right? And he had, a, he had two seasons where he was pretty special. But, uh, you know, you have that ACL tear, and I don't know. It's I always like to see how a running back does in the second half of the season. Like Dalvin Cook, to me, has no leverage, no bargaining power, and he's going to try to hold out, and it's it's not going to work. This is not going to work out well for Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Not going to. But, uh, you know, Todd Gurley, if you limit him, if you use him just enough, then maybe you can get some home runs out of him. And maybe that's what he's going to be, just going to be a home run hitter for the Atlanta Falcons there. I saw where Reggie Bush is uh, welcome back. The NCAA barred him and USC from, I guess, getting together, associating. And now that uh, 10-year ban is up. And what do you do to welcome back Reggie Bush? Considering everything that happened after that with Reggie Bush, and USC hasn't been the same. Do Do you have a welcome back Reggie Bush party? Yeah, Paul. It, it looks like they are. USC uh, Trojans Athletics official Twitter put down, uh, welcome back, Reggie Bush. They also posted one just a few minutes ago from USC men's basketball. Welcome back, O.J. Mayo, the highest drafted player in program <laughs> history, has officially been reinstated. I didn't know he was... What did he do? I don't know. They're bringing back everybody. All right, well, Reggie Bush is uh, welcome back. Yes, Todd? Maybe you have a Reggie Bush day and the opposite happens. He gives everyone in attendance all kinds of cash and prizes. That's kind of funny. I think it's a nice thing to do. Like, Ellen's always giving out things on her show. This would be perfect. All these things that I took and I caused all this problem. Now you get a car. You get $10,000. Whatever he gives out, he's got to give back to the community that day. Back to you, Mr. Thank you, Todd. 
You got a laugh out of Paulie, and that's hard to do. I did get a chuckle out of Paulie. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I appreciated that. Felt like a courtesy laugh. It was. Does Reggie Bush get his Heisman back? You know, all he had to do is, if you have this disagreement, somebody loans you money, and you buy your parents a house, you know, a marketing company, and then if you feel like, hey, I don't, I'm not going to pay you back, or I found somebody else, or whatever that stance was at the time, and then they go public, and then it's over. Bulgate. If he takes care of this privately, you know, he's probably like hundreds of athletes who have done this. Yeah, Paul. The irony is the exact, almost the exact same thing is happening right now with Zion Williamson. Mm, he is going to be sued for agreeing to partner with a marketing company, an agency, and by going back on the deal and going with someone else, they're going to call him out on the things he did. That's exactly what happened to Reggie Bush. Yep. More phone calls, but uh, Reggie Bush, uh, the, the it's a 10-year, is it? I don't ban that was uh, placed on him and USC, but now he gets to come back. And he's part of that Fox pregame show. I don't know if Reggie was even allowed to go to USC on the field when they did games. It feels like Leinert was there, but maybe that was a day when Leinert was being honored. But um, like Reggie Bush is welcome back uh, to the, the USC family there. 18 after the hour, we'll get to more phone calls. Bob Costas will join us coming up next year on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. We'll talk to Bob Costas here in a moment. Now, see, here's an autograph story from uh, Cody Brooks. When I was 12 years old, I saw Kobe Bryant at the Nike employee store here in Portland, Oregon. When I went up to him to ask him for an autograph, he said no, because I was wearing all Air Jordan stuff. I like that. I like the autograph stories that don't have a happy ending. Just like my Wilt Chamberlain story. Pete, uh, Paulie just sent, uh, sent me this stat. He's all giddy about this. When Pete Carroll coached USC, they won 11 or more games seven times. In the 10 years since Pete Carroll left USC... USC has won 11 or more games just once. And since Pete Carroll left, USC has had four head coaches. Uh, Bob, is Bob Costas uh, set to join us there? Uh, well, Fritzy's trying to get him on the phone here. Uh, in two seasons, uh, two great seasons, I was talking about Todd Gurley being the best running back in football. In those two seasons, he scored a total of 40 touchdowns. No other player in the NFL scored more than 32 touchdowns over that same time period. He's only 25. I just don't know. Can he have a Frank Gore-like career? Because Frank Gore blew out both of his knees. In college, I believe. And here he is with, what, 15,000 career yards. I don't know if Todd Gurley can be that kind of running back. And the Falcons taking a chance and seeing if they can get some home runs out of him. Because that's really what I'm going to have to use Todd Gurley for. Do I give him 15 touches a game? But, uh... Matt Ryan was gushing about Todd Gurley. Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator, gushing about him. Yeah, Paul. Frank Gore is the perfect running back. He's never been paid. He always makes about two or three million dollars a year. Last year made one point two million. He's never gotten the big money, Frank Gore. He's never gotten a big contract. So he's been the perfect running back. Bob Costas, a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and uh, MLB Network has launched a new series. It's called Sounds of Baseball, co-hosted by Bob and Tom Berducci. And uh, you look back on some of the greatest calls, moments from uh, great broadcasters. Vin Scully was featured first, Jack Buck, Bob Huker, 
and uh, others will follow. Bob joining us on the program. Good morning, Bob. How's your morale? <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. All things considered, we're kind of getting used to it, you know, just waiting it out and seeing what's going to happen. But you're waiting for baseball to come back. What do you do all day? Well, I've been able to read more uh, outside sports and outside preparation uh, than I used to because there isn't that much to prepare for. You know, we spend so much time, I'm sure we're very much alike in this respect, reading newspapers, reading magazines, not enough time to delve into books. And over the last many weeks, I've been able to do that. I'm doing what a lot of people are doing, catching up on stuff that's on Netflix or old movies or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, that's pretty much it. Watching some of the archival games that show up on the All Sports Networks. And what you just mentioned is one of the great labors of love ever. Uh, I don't know if you were able to catch it. I'm sure they'll repeat it. The two hours with Vin Scully drew such a response, um, you know, during the last dance or whatever I'd hear from a lot of people because that was being watched by millions of people. But the response to this, among whatever size audience happened to catch it on a Monday night on MLB Network, uh, really shows that that Vin is in a category all his own. And the way people respond to this kind of programming, it's nostalgic, but it's also new. It's just a different way in. It's not a uh, just a series of clips and highlights we try to get to kind of the mosaic of what made him different and what made him tremendous. And there's so much baseball history going back to 1950 yeah. and so much broadcasting history, really. And I hope we provided some insight into that beyond just here's a great play or here's a great game and here's a great call of it. We talked about this, I think, the last time we talked, that social media would probably be very critical of Vin Scully. I mean, they're critical of everybody here, but to yeah. to have that kind of voice – and would we allow a voice like that now in, in baseball or in sports? I don't know that he could flourish on network TV if that's where he landed first. In fact, one of the points we made, and maybe I told you this story at, on one of our other visits at some point along the way, Dan. One of the points we made was that Dodger telecasts in the last 20 years or so, when he was just doing games, mostly home games, because he wasn't traveling that much anymore, those telecasts, were directed and produced from the inside out. He didn't have to follow graphics and production elements. They followed him with rare exceptions. Uh, and I mentioned on this special one occasion where he was telling a story about Don Zimmer, who had only passed away a few days before. And in the middle of it, Scott Van Slyke of the Dodgers gets hit by a pitch. Big deal. The benches didn't empty. He wasn't beamed. He didn't charge the mound. He goes down to first base. No matter how good the producer or director, if that happens today in any baseball game, they show it from three or four different angles. But that would have truncated Ben's story. He just noted that Van Slyke had been hit. He goes down to first base. He continues with this four- or five-minute remembrance of, of uh, Don Zimmer. And even the network games, and there are plenty of them on this special that, that Tom and I did about Ben, even the network games are less cluttered than they are now. Some of the games that the archival games that I did in the 1990s uh, that have been played on the Major League Baseball Network, you can't help but notice if you have any interest in broadcasting how relatively uncluttered they are. They are. are there replays when necessary? Yeah. Are there graphics? Yeah. But you don't need a pitch box or a strike zone box <laughs> on every single play. You don't need to perform an autopsy on every ground ball to shortstop, and that allows a broadcast to breathe and allows a broadcaster to do whatever he is most able to do. 
You look at Bob Euchre's career, and I, he, he was a novelty when he was on with Carson, and he was so self-deprecating. Yeah. Light beer commercials. Like, like what, you know, it's one of those where you go, how did this happen? But it happened. Like, Dick Vitale happened. If mm-hmm. you said, hey, we're going to, this guy's going to be a star. Like, why did Bob Euchre resonate with people, not only locally, but nationally? Well, first of all, he's just so damn funny. Uh, when you think of the Major League movies, Major League 3, even Euchre says you should forget about, but Major League <laughs> 1 was fantastic, Major League 2 was good, and Euchre is a huge reason why. He's the guy who stitches the whole thing together, and he ad-libbed at least half of it. They'd give him just a general script, and he'd think of funny things to say. Uh, Carson was only a so-so baseball fan, but he loved Euchre. Uh, many people who played with him, on the Braves or the Cardinals or the Phillies, say to this day that he's the funniest person they've ever been around. And he's just that funny in person, um, even funnier in some respects than he is on the air. But here's what a lot of people miss. If they only know him from Johnny Carson or the Major League movies or the commercials, he's just straight up a really good baseball announcer. You listen to his calls of big plays for the yeah. Brewers. He's on top of the game. It's different than Scully. You know, Vin uh, and others, I tried to prepare as hard as I could. Al Michaels, you know, you pre- prepares by going to the clubhouse, hanging around the batting cage, goes upstairs, takes a look at the game notes that they hand out in the press box, fills out a lineup card, and just wings it. But his broadcast, even if he wasn't as funny as he is, his broadcasts are first rate and still, and he's 86 years old. Talking to Bob Kostas, uh, I know we keep talking about baseball. I, I said it's it's kind of a, a verbal game of ping pong. Back and forth we go, and I don't know where we end up, but it feels like 75, something in that area feels like common ground here. But the back and forth being made public, it feels like baseball has – everything's leaked out. Like where the NBA yeah. kept everything quiet for about three weeks, and now they're on the verge of coming back. Like. I don't know what the strategy is of Major League Baseball or the Players Association, but if you were going to be an arbitrator here, mediator, how would you bring both sides together? Well, one of the things you'd have to point out is they're moving toward, if it makes that much difference to the players, to be able to say that they won some sort of nominal victory by saying we're getting prorated, uh, 100% prorated, or some portion close to 100% of what would have been prorated. If it's that important to them, figure out what the actual pool of money would be under any of these other proposals. And if you need it to save face, to say that you got the prorated portion, we're just going to keep calibrating it until we get to the number where you can claim that victory and walk away. Uh, You know, these two sides seem determined to drive off a cliff and they seem yet again determined that I thought it might have been better because they hadn't had a work stoppage in a long time. I thought there was a better relationship. But there's so much lasting mistrust between the sides. It's been passed down through the generations. And I think it's particularly true of the players at this point, more so than, than the owners and the commissioner. Historically, the players were right. I don't think either side can claim any moral high ground in this situation. You know, the players talking about we were promised prorated. But it specifically says in the agreement that they struck in spring training when COVID-19 first hit that if they had to play without fans, they would revisit it. Then they claim, oh, this will establish some sort of revenue sharing or backdoor salary cap for the future. What kind of claim is that? Mm -hmm. Do the the owners intend to play without fans in the future? 
Do they intend to play with teams competing only in their own time zones? These are all one-offs. These are all just for now. And what you're pointing out is correct. Not only is the bickering making them look bad, but if, in fact, that bickering keeps them from playing at all or if it reduces them to a number of games, it would be a mockery because we know that baseball is different from basketball or hockey or even football in that respect. You need some representative number of games to say that, okay, we've determined, even in this one-off season, we've determined that that's enough uh, to launch a postseason from there. The Nats were 19-31 and 31 after 50 games last year, and they wound up winning the World Series. You've got to play a representative number of games before there's any authenticity at all, even in a unique season like this. And the big picture, you know, a, a year from now, they're going to have to sit down and hammer out another CBA. And no matter who walks away from the table now and says, well, I guess we got the better of this negotiation. If the business itself is damaged, then everybody is damaged. And if the business thrives, then everybody does better. The owners won some concessions uh, in the last couple of negotiations, not major ones, but some. Can we say that the players didn't thrive? Of course they, they continued to thrive. And what they've got to see now in a forest for the trees situation is this. No matter what, even if they'd done everything perfectly, if they were able to play 82 games and everyone, everyone was on the same page and, and they're all making the best of it, they're still going to take an economic hit next season and maybe beyond because people are going to have less discretionary income. Some will be less willing to come to games, just as they'll be less willing to go to concerts and other gatherings. There's going to be an economic hit. And instead, here they are squabbling over small things and not seeing the importance of the big things. Our over-under, our poll question is uh, over-under 75 games for baseball this season. Where do you stand? That seems about right. That seems, yeah, if you're talking about an over-under. Could it land under that? Yeah. Uh, I, I take the under. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying it won't be 75, but it'd be very optimistic to land higher than 75. I think percentage uh, that we don't have a season this year would be what, in your opinion? Small, but not impossible. I don't know, 10 percent, 20 percent. Yeah, it's just you know the, the clock is ticking, and it feels like we set these arbitrary dates and go, okay, if you don't start by now, yeah. and then you don't start by now. I don't know if you don't start by now that it truly means if you don't start by now that you won't get a season in because you're going to get dwarfed by, you know, hockey coming back, golf is coming back, soccer is back. You're going to have the NBA coming back in the postseason. Then you got college in the NFL and baseball gets lost usually in those months. Anyways, they have their sweet yeah. spot usually in, you know, July or June and July or July and August here. And that that's dangerous, too. If you come back and you're not relevant after everything that you've gone through. Yeah, they could have had it if, if they did it in a way that seemed as if they were on the same page, as we said. They could have had the stage to themselves among team sports for a while, and that would have been a boost. And the owners are very keen on finishing before going deep into November. Uh, they proposed a regular season that ends toward the end of September, expanded playoffs maybe with as many as 16 teams, so it'll take a little while to get through that. But they really don't want to be playing, you know, into Thanksgiving or, heaven forbid, into December, not just because they'd be up against other sports, but because they fear, no one knows for sure, but they fear a surge in the coronavirus 
um, and per, and perhaps being derailed, which could happen to any sport at any time. So, you know, they're looking at a window uh, of getting in enough games for it to be credible, then finish with an expanded postseason and get out of the way, hopefully, uh, before something else knocks them off course. You ever called a game in the snow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a baseball game, you yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, during the 1997 World Series, there were snow flurries and temperatures in the 30s in Cleveland. It was the Marlins against the Indians, and every game in Cleveland, uh, our teeth were chattering up in the booth, <laughs> and every game in Florida, you know, it was like 85 degrees, <laughs> you know, complete contrast. I remember at one point, and this is the rare situation where I may have said something funnier than what Euchre was thinking of at that exact moment. Uh, he was commenting on how cold it was, and I said, I glanced down in the stands, and a half dozen of the uh, concession people are St. Bernard's. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and Euchre said, said, this is a really nice ga- night for a game if you're a penguin. And then the next night, Hannah Storm and Keith Oberman were hosting the pregame, and they came on the air with an actual penguin on the set with them. And it wasn't Burgess Meredith or Danny oh, DeVito. Okay. It was right, a right, penguin. Right. <laughs> right, right, Good night, everybody. Uh, uh, hey, thanks for joining us, Bob. Hopefully we got uh, some movement here sometime soon uh, with baseball. I sure hope so. But great to talk to you. Thank you, bud. You too, Dan. Be well. And that's Bye. Bob Costas, Hall of Famer. And, of course, uh, he spent 40 years at NBC. Bay, uh, MLB Network has the series uh, The Sounds of Baseball. Take a break. Last call for phone calls and what's in store for tomorrow, what we learned. We'll figure all that out coming up and this day in sports history after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store tomorrow. Have that for you coming up. Uh, Swan in Arkansas joins us. Hey, Swan, what do you have for me today? Hey, uh, 5'10", 230 pounds. I wanted to share with you about the uh, experience I had with the immortal Cliff Branch within the uh, Raiders team store buying the jersey. He was in the back signing autographs. I went and bought a couple. And to my surprise, he takes off his Super Bowl 18 ring and puts it on. And I learned real quick how strong his hands were. The grip that he put on my neck it was uh, intense. But uh, got pictures with him, and, uh, you know, he passed away last year. So it just uh, makes that experience all the more great for me. Well, thank you, Swan. Uh, and Cliff got into the Hall of Fame, didn't he? Or I've been arguing that Cliff Brand should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, they're going to have the Hall of Fame game in the, the ceremony coming up this summer in August. At least it's still on schedule. Yeah, McLovin. I think he missed it again. No, it maybe did. I, I was trying to remember if I it was. He was very close yeah, this was, year. Yeah, 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 Paul. Dan, the past couple of days on social media, I, I forgot to ask you this the other day. There's been a little bit of a push for Dave Parker, the '70s '80s slugger for Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Oakland, to be in the Hall of Fame. Top of your head, what do you think? The Cobra, and he was not, when he got to the plate. I don't know how intimidating that must have looked and felt like. A former running back in high school at Quarter Tech was the name of the high school, and everybody knew about Dave Parker, the athlete. Uh, but Cobra going to Pittsburgh, 
Uh, eventually played for the Reds. Now, he has health concerns now, and uh, uh, people have sent me some stuff uh, with Dave Parker and uh, hoping that there's a push for Dave Parker to go into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he has any magical numbers, and baseball's all about magical numbers. I just know that when he got to the plate, that was an intimidating guy. And he was a great outfielder, one of the great arms. Usually, you would put your best arm in right field, and Cobra had a great arm. Yeah, Paul? He was an MVP once, top five MVP five times. Didn't he feel like a big-time baseball star? When I was a kid, he felt like a, a baseball star. Well, he was a big, literally big uh, baseball star. And in those Pittsburgh uniforms, he filled them out. He just looked like the most intimidating guy in the sport. I just don't know if he has the numbers there in what baseball looks for. And that's one of those, I, you know, you, you always go, if I say his name, is he a Hall of Famer? And with Dave Parker, I, I sort of viewed him the way I did Jim Rice. They were just intimidating when they got to the plate. But the one thing that Parker had, he was a really good fielder as well. Yeah, Fritzy. George Foster was always another name where I just thought growing up that this guy, when I heard the name George Foster, this was a big deal. This guy, because that was back in the day where hitting 30 home runs was considered huge. Well, he wasn't consistent enough. But I remember Foster hit 50 home runs one year. Uh, John in Missouri. Hey, John, what do you have for me? Yeah, I got a story for you. Bad autograph. Okay. I was uh, up in Minneapolis before I went to the game. I bought a New Jersey from a uh, sporting goods store. It cost me about 120 bucks. It was an Emmett Smith jersey for when he played for Arizona. And we were like the only ones in the Metrodome. Walked down, he's on the field stretching out, shook his head, waved his hand, no. So I took the jersey back and got my money back. (laughs) Emmett wouldn't sign it. No. Okay. He wasn't proud of that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and thanks for the phone call there. Yeah, he had one of those. You know, we talk about these quarterbacks who end up with a team in the last year of their career. There's some running backs. You know, Tony Dorsett uh, certainly uh, was there with Emmett. Uh, OJ with the San Francisco 49ers. Franco, Seahawk. I yeah. Think. LaDainian Tomlinson. Jet. Yeah. Well, he, oh, he was okay with them, actually. Yeah, he was going to Minneapolis. He was going to Minnesota, wasn't he? I think, did he promise us yeah, a jersey? Yeah, they made him his... a jersey. They thought he was going there. Paulie, what's uh, this day in sports history? Shockingly, they're almost all Babe Ruth related. 1921, Babe Ruth became baseball's all-time home run leader with 120. Uh, 1944, youngest baseball player of history, Joe Nuxall, 15 years and 10 months old when he made a pitching debut with the Reds. 1975, big one. Pele signed a three-year deal with the U.S.-based New York Cosmos. Yeah. Is it Pele or Pele? I think it's Pele. I I always thought it was Pele, but I've been around soccer snobs where they go, it's Pele. Pele signed a (laughs) three-year contract with with (laughs) the Cosmos. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and another Babe Ruth, 2005. Babe Ruth's 1919 contract that moved him from Boston to the Yankees sold at auction for closest to the hole. How much did Babe Ruth's contract sell for? Who wants a piece of it? Sixty-three thousand. Absolutely not. A million dollars. You're off by four thousand dollars, nine hundred ninety-six grand. And we're going to give that to you. Okay, I went over though, but it's okay. Closest next. to the hole. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. Uh, final results of the poll question, McLevin. Are we going over or under 74.5 games? Almost 80% say under. All right. I remain optimistic. Uh, Jacob in Virginia joins us. Hey, Jake, what do you have? Hey, what's going on, DC? Hey, so, got um, 
a few quick stories for you. I was uh, Jim Tone was on the on deck circle during spring training. I tossed him a ball, sharpie. He threw it back to me. Went to go catch it. That sharpie smudged. Asked him to sign again. He's like, "Nope, you only got one chance." <laughs> so that uh, that kind of sucked. And then my uncle wanted a picture of Roberto Alomar and Sandy Alomar together um, signed. Sandy Alomar did it. Got to Roberto Alomar, and he goes, "Nope, I don't do pictures. I don't care if my brother signed it or not." If you got a ball, I'll do it. So it kind of broke his heart. And then uh, another quick one, I was bad boying for the Cincinnati Reds in Sarasota. Went to the locker room. Me and my buddy wanted to take a ball from the bucket, grabbed one, and ended up being signed by Ken Griffey Jr. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jacob. You don't get somebody to sign your ball with a Sharpie. What are you thinking there? Um, Seton O'Connor, what did you learn on today's program? I learned uh, toddlers struggling. <laughs> you just learned that Todd's struggling. He's, he's right now in the middle, in the midst of one of the great slumps in Dan Patrick Show. I history. had one more joke off that Roberto Sandy oh. Alomar story. Not only did Roberto Alomar not sign it, he spit on it. I know. It. Here we go. <laughs> that's not bad. That's not horrible. It's okay. It's a bit obvious because of Alomar, but that's a nice callback. But it's like hitting a jumper down twenty-five. He once spit on an umpire. Remember? No, I remember right. that. It's one of the great slumps in the 12 years that we've been doing this that I, I can't remember. A time I don't know if he'll get out of this. I don't know if he'll get out of this slump. Just whiff Ever? after whiff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like you just, you're trying to hit a nine-run home run. I'm way under the Mendoza line. Yeah, you are. It's, it's the Fritzy. It's not the Mendoza line. It's the Fritzy line. Nice. It's even lower than the Mendoza okay, line. Okay, major point. <laughs> Todd, what'd you learn today? Uh, you think there'll be a 74 and a half baseball over? You're taking the over on the 74 and a half baseball games. Bob Costa is taking the under. For you're the rattled, man. You are rattled. rattled. McLovin? Howard Beck talked about effective field goal percentage with James Harden. Love it. <laughs> Paulie? We all learned this. Celebrity Flo Anthony, who claims to have spoken to a source with knowledge. What we learned brought to you by Raycon Wireless Earbuds. They're the way to go. 15% off your Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Patrick. That's buyraycon.com slash Patrick. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow here on the Dan Patrick Show.